0: First Empire podcast of 2018. We say hello to Jason Isaacs. That's a catchphrase that's going to catch on and his Star Trek Discovery co-star Senequa Martin-Green. Plus, Andrea Riseber, a star of Black Mirror, pops into the pod booth and listens to me bang on relentlessly about Mindhorn. All that and more on the movie podcast it has a bigger button than your podcast-ish. <laughs> That's not true. I can't back that up. Please don't ask me to back that up. Uh, Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. And welcome to the first Empire Podcast of 2018. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. How are you all? That's good. How are the kids? Excellent. Um, I'm joined this week by two colleagues. Two colleagues of such lethal cunning. We have our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. And Helen, as your Christmas present, I've decided to stop crowbarring in Supernatural references and Hamilton references. Thanks, Chris. I'm not throwing away my shot, Helen. Oh, God. When it comes to not referencing the award-winning musical (laughs) Hamilton.
1: When do you go go to see it?
0: I go to see it on January 25th and then again on February 6th and I'm trying to get tickets on uh, every single day. Forget my computer, didn't turn it off. That's unprofessional. Uh, And I'm trying to get tickets every single day on the lottery here in London and I tried everything. Every day when I was in New York before uh, Christmas for a holiday and um, just came up short, Bupkis, as they say over there. Wow. They go, hey, Bupkis, you, what do you got in the hand of the lottery?" Is that I what got they Bupkis. Say? Yeah, that's what they say. I, I, I assimilated the New York accent. I, hey, hey, watch with the watch with the. That's what they say.
1: Those of you playing a drinking game about whether Chris went to New York before Christmas. You've already got what three That's shots f- down. That's
0: a very specific there's drinking g- game.
1: I mean, there's going to be a lot more references. I, feel I haven't like, even mentioned the my wife. Of- who there I went, we go. Ah,
0: no! uh, you saw Hamilton, didn't you?
1: I did see Hamilton. Yes, the
0: UK cast, the British cast. Yes. Yeah.
1: Very, How- very good cast. I thought. Yeah. Different, but not in a bad way.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote a
1: piece about it for another publication. <laughs> the, the contrast between the two casts.
0: There are other publications. Barely. <laughs> we have the bigger button? So there you go. (laughs) The bigger publish button, that's for sure. Uh, We'll talk about that more in a second. Sure. For the meantime, I want to bring in the other colleague of such lethal cunning. I am saying that right, aren't I? Cunning. Yes, I am. It is James Dyer. (laughs) Hello. Our West Wing expert. Hi. How are you?
2: Yes, I'm very good, thank you. Excellent. You seen Hamilton? I have not seen Hamilton. Do you want to see Hamilton? Um...
1: Yes, but not enough to pay for it.
2: I do. Lin Manuel Miranda is a, um, is a massive fan of The West Wing uh, Mani, and, and references The West Wing problem. in Hamilton. Uh and yet, as Helen said, I don't want to see enough to pay for it. So okay. if anyone is listening and wants to give me free Hamilton tickets, I will happily go but other than that.
0: No.
1: If anyone listening wants to give out free Hamilton tickets, <laughs> there are so many people ahead of you in that queue, it's not even funny. It's hard to argue.
0: <laughs> Fine. I don't know. He's you know, he's he's still here, isn't he? He's still Lin-Manuel. He's still here, but he's not performing so you know he might listen to the podcast and go yes no. you guys can come along
1: I, I I don't think he would do that because because James is and, and I want to make this clear if <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda is listening totally undeserving of free tickets <laughs>
2: <laughs> however if you want to invite me on set of your adaptation of The Name of the Wind I would happily go to that instead
1: oh yeah that would, well I'll fight you for that, that
2: one that, yeah. that I'm quite excited about uh, all right so let's not talk too much more about Hamilton but
0: you know there's a Hamilton store <laughs> My wife and I were in New York and we were just across the street from where Hamilton is, mm-hmm. uh, which is on 46th Street. The
1: Richard Rogers Theatre. The yes. Richard
0: Rogers Theatre. Richard Rogers, of course, a co-writer along with uh, Oscar Hammerstein of the musical Carousel, which contains, of course, the greatest song of all time, You'll Never Walk Alone. <laughs> Neither here nor there. But it is him, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> all right, so... Um, and there's a Hamilton store right by the mm. Paramount Hotel now.
1: Well, it's because uh, there's just too crazy a demand for stuff uh, in London actually the the line for tickets or the, the line for merchandise was like insane you had to be there about three hours before the show and of course you, the theatre isn't open three hours before the show wow. so it's quite difficult to get um, any t-shirts or anything in London uh, in in New York it was more of a mob scene so mm-hmm. you were able to kind of push through and get some stuff
0: Well, we walked in about midnight just as it was about to close and there's all sorts of stuff there's Hamilton uh, jumpers Hamilton mm-hmm. hoodies Hamilton socks. Do not throw
1: away your sock.
0: Uh, Well, yeah, Hamilton handkerchiefs if you do not want to throw away your snot. Oh, Uh, no. There's all sorts of stuff, and I was going to buy you something, but I I didn't.
1: Thanks, Chris.
0: But you know what, Helen? It's the thought that counts.
1: I don't think that's how they mean the phrase, but okay.
0: I think it's how they mean the phrase. Also, uh, I know what you're you're thinking. You're thinking, Chris, what film and television related stuff did you do in New York? I'm interested. Thanks, Helen. Uh, Well, as you know, uh, Fall and I went to see we went to see John Leguizamo's one man show. How was that? Latin history for morons. Mm. Very good, very funny, really interesting, magnetic performer. And I also saw a Bronx Tale the musical.
1: That is not a, a story I would necessarily have musicalized immediately.
0: No, but did it work? It did work. Mm. I liked it. Good. Uh, and his it, music the songs are by Alan Menken, your oh, friend, wow. your friend and mine
1: yes he's great
0: and uh yeah very very good good performances all the way through
1: and uh and you tried to go to the ghostbusters station
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <tried> to <laughs> so the last day this amazing holiday and the last day uh so okay what do you what should we do uh, I, I've never been to the Ghostbusters fire station which is hook and ladder eight down down nearish Wall Street down near the world Trade Center I so, said, okay, well, let's, let's go. So we got into a cab and we, we drove down at great expense, time-wise and money-wise, to get to this this place. And we got there and we were looking around for it. And it was like, where is it? It's here. It's, it's, it says here in Google. It's meant to be here. And then my wife goes, is, is that it over there? The <laughs> the building is being completely refurbished. And I went, oh, that's it. That's it. So it's in the middle of refurbishment. And uh, of course, this apparently has been going on for over a year and no one told me. So thanks for that.
1: Okay, well, I'm sorry.
0: But it was an amazing... Not you. But it was an amazing moment. Anyway, what film and TV
2: related stuff did you guys get up to over Christmas? I had a very upsetting New Year's Eve. I mean... Uh Most of them I mean, are, that, but. That can be said of most of my New Year's Eve's, but this one in particular. Now, just to give this some context, I decided very shortly after Christmas, I thought oh, I should watch something. What should I watch? And I was scrolling through it, and I remembered seeing an impassioned editorial on a website that I will not lame. <laughs> but Den of Geek basically said <laughs> that Beyond Skyline was one of the greatest sci fi films of the last decade. Like, not just like it's better than Skyline, it's quite good. Like, this is transcendental cinema. Dan- did Den this of was, Geek say this as the entity that is Den of Geek, or was it someone who writes for Den of Geek who said it? Or and then it was bylined. I can't the remember way. the name of the actual writer, but she okay. loved it, like love, love, loved it. Um, and I think I've, I think I've heard other people from Den of Geek tweeting that they liked it. Um, either way, this had stuck in my head. And I thought, oh, I, I should watch that. But then I thought, I can't. I've not seen Skyline. So Boxing Day, I sat down and watched Skyline. Boxing Day. It the was Boston Day. Your, your story No, no, changed. no, no. New Year's was beyond... This is the prologue. This is the prologue to the actual story. So, I sat down, I watched Skyline. At, after watching Skyline, which I think we can all agree is drivel, um, <laughs> I no longer wanted to watch Beyond Skyline, but I felt I'd begun this quest, and I had to kind of follow it through. So, so with that still ringing in my head and traumatising me, I sat down, having... You know, I suffered Skyline to get to Beyond Skyline, and I sat down, and I watched it on New Year's Eve. And it is... Exactly what you would think it is—a straight-to-video sequel of a shit science fiction film. It's terrible. It is objectively terrible. And I'm like, and and I was texting you all the way through. if you remember this? And I was texting. I was like, oh no, I'm halfway I, I have no through. choice. <laughs> I'm halfway through. I'm waiting for the good bit. I'm imagining it changes halfway through, and it does to a certain extent. In that they kind of they act out like the the, the first film happens in parallel to the first half of Beyond Skyline, and there's a point where all of the action transplants to another country and eco Uwai turns up and starts beating the shit out of people. Iko wise yeah. Eco wise, yes, that's it. I can never hear that same. He turns up in a motorcycle helmet, starts punching people, stabbing people, all the good stuff, but it's still not exciting. And Frank Grillo... Bless him. Gives it his all. I love Frank Grillo. So do I. I have a lot of affection for Frank Grillo. And I I really like Kingdom, his TV show as well, uh, when it was on. Um, But, he, he, I mean, it's it's not good. And if anyone has seen Skyline, I won't ruin the end. But there's a bit (laughs) where you see a lot of the actual sort of, shall we say, alien creature-ish things in the ship. And they're all CG. And in this one, they've changed them from CG to men in suits, specifically so that Eco can beat the shit out of them physically. Well, um, yes. Which is great, but it just feels like you're watching... Did you ever see... Uh, uh, it's like a, It was like a manga adaptation called The Guyver. No. Remember this, Guyver? I yeah? remember. You know what I, I mean? I, I it's like that. that. It's like a martial arts guy fighting guys in rubber suits. Um, I don't see the downside here. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Don't get me wrong. It's fine if you accept what it is, which is a straight-to-video science fiction film. Right. But it is not the best science fiction film Once. of, indeed, probably even the day it was released. Well, as you know... We love Denny Geek here, but we do
0: frequently ask him out on Twitter to fight in the car park, and they have never taken us up on it. But so I'm thinking that maybe now this, this is may it. be it. This, this is, is the man moment.
2: moment. It's just that we're going to call him out over Beyond Skyline. So Simon
0: and the Denny Geek team, yeah. if you were listening to this, this is the hill you've chosen to die on. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and the thing is,
2: we could get probably we can get Eco Wise to fight in our team. Yes, we could. Although not after I've just said that, probably <laughs> um, they, they may have Eco at this point, so we might need to get Scott Adkins well, on our side. Scott Adkins is on <laughs>
0: Team Empire. Hashtag. Team Empire. Can we not
1: start any beefs here? We like, are. we starting Can we all just get along? I'm totally
2: killing one of them with a trident. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a disappointing start. It was uh, or a very disappointing start. So, Den of, Ge- Den of Geek, you and, I, you and I have a beef now. That's, that's, oh, my god. That's the thing. What about you, Bells What were you up to?
1: Um, I watched lots of films with the family. I also went to see um, a couple of plays 101 Dalmatians on stage. Sadly, done with puppets and not real puppies, but you know, we kind of have everything in this life. And it was Where very was well this? done. This was in Birmingham, and then I went to see another show. Which do you know what? It was so bad and so surreal. I'm not going to say what it was because everybody involved was doing their best, but it was terrible. So uh, that was less successful um, as a live show.
3: Really? Yeah.
1: It was. It was just like Give us a clue. Um, a teapot. teapots. Teapots. Yeah. Anyway, Beauty and the Beast. It was. It was really not not good, and, and it wasn't designed for me. It was designed for kids. We realised that after buying the tickets. But, yeah, so that was fun. But um, otherwise, I, I caught up on a lot of films I hadn't seen during the year because I'm beginning to get some screeners in, so I've been watching oh, Catching Up nice. on Stuff, which is very nice, and uh, and then made my family sit down and watch all the films I really liked again.
0: We don't get screeners. No. No, we don't, no. Well, I'm special. Yeah. How do you get screeners?
1: Um, you become a member of the film critic circle, for example.
0: Yeah, they won't have us. Have you tried? Have you
1: asked? Have you been nice?
0: No. Well... No. But they they, they just do not
2: like my face. I've well, heard I mean, about I joining circles. That. It's disgusting. Yeah. I won't have any of it. My application. You realize it's not like Joshua back.
1: Jackson circle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i that that that's what I have in my head. <laughs> that's amazing.
0: That's amazing. Um cool. What, what did was, you what, watch, Chris? Uh, stuff, stuff, things, bake-offs, yeah. yes. master
1: Star Wars yeah. again, Paddington 2 again. I've seen
0: Star Wars again. Uh, we are going to see it again uh after this, actually, if you're we uh, are. uh uh we're going to go see it again because we're recording our Star Wars The Last Jedi and I'm like this is good Helen you remind me to segue and this is is good uh, because we are recording our last Jedi spoiler special Ryan Johnson has contributed he has answered questions in great detail and that's going to be up on January 15th so we're going to record it next week and then have it up January 15th we realise that's a long time after the movie came out but there you go and so look forward to that one. And we've got a Blade Runner 2049 one coming up as well, which we've got to make room for as well. Have so we recorded that already? No, we have not recorded that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, should, I, I will watch that again. Before I, do. I need to get to that because it's scheduled to go up at the end of January. Uh, do you get any good presents? Any good film TV related presents?
1: Um, yes, I got The Princess Diaries by Carrie Fisher. Very uh, good. One. That's very good. Yeah, um, I recommend
2: the audio book though over the actual book.
1: Yes, I might, I might actually listen to it even after reading the book. I thought I, I, a lot of people said that to mm. me. So.
2: You, Jimbo? Um, did I get anything film or T V related? I don't know that I did, to be honest. I didn't do particularly well in terms of presents this year, if I'm honest with you. Um, but I um I did watch all of Six, which is the History Channel's new series about uh SEAL Team Six, which I rather enjoyed. And I'm looking forward to season two, which will be this year. So that oh. was fun.
1: I thought I thought that was gonna be something about Six from Battlestar Galactica, but
2: I No, although although uh Olivia Munn uh, is joining season two of six Olivia Munn who we will of course all remember as Sloan Sabbath from Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom so that's you know, that's amazing so very I don't close. really
1: understand the segue there but
2: okay <laughs> so that's always comes back to Aaron bloody Sorkin eventually <laughs> uh, oh I saw John Wick 2 on New Year's Eve you was did oh, yes yeah, so you good. had a much better New Year's Eve than I did did I? was it you were watching John Wick 2 I was watching yeah. Beyond Skyline and what was Nick watching? He was watching something. Oh, he's watching something terrible. I can't remember something terrible. I yeah.
1: went to all these houses and ate all the food.
2: What, did you oh, watch anything?
1: No, we we talked like people.
2: I don't understand. I with know his, it was with weird. His dog.
1: Oh yeah, his dog was adorable. His dog okay. wore a bow tie because it was a special occasion.
0: <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, so we've been we've been faffing around here because we're we're in lieu of a question this week. So we don't have a question from readers. Uh, we will have one next week, won't we, guys? Yes, we yes, will, Chris. Yes, we will. Uh, if you want to send in some questions to the Empire Podcast, let's replenish our stocks for twenty eighteen assuming, of course, we're all still live next week, uh, you can do so via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. I did a shout-out for questions about 10 minutes before we come into the booth. Just having that attempt to, to look at them. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that'll be good stuff for next week. Uh, we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. All very, very exciting stuff. Uh, all right, time now for our first guests of the year. We all love Jason Isaacs. He's been on the podcast a few times. I believe he's been on another show which we know about entertainment and there's some sort of thing there, some sort of catchphrase related to him, but we don't care about that. Um, by the way, Kermode, Mayo, car park as well. When, we, when we're throwing down with Denner Geek...
1: This is a dangerous, dangerous time. We're going to throw down.
0: See, Kermode looks like he can
2: handle himself. This is the thing about Kermode. Yeah. yeah. Well, and come, he's, a really,
1: he's a tall he's man. Tall. Kermode's
2: he's, a big fan of Denner Geek, so I'm saying he's probably already in the car park with them. So yeah. we're going to need to enlist some other publication as well, I'm going to say. We're going to have to reach
0: across the, uh, the divide. You think? Link hands with Total Film. <laughs> it's got to happen.
2: It's got to happen. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to the West Wing Weekly. It's fine. <laughs>
1: Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. You know what? It's really tragic, but I'm actually washing my hair that day. Oh, are you? Oh,
0: great, so Helen. Run away anytime there's a physical confrontation with another magazine. A completely unnecessary physical confrontation. Or one, of the, or one of the country's most respected broadcasters. Over you, nothing. You run in the other direction.
1: I mean, I'm sauntering vaguely, but sure.
0: Jason Isaacs is one of the most respected actors in the UK. He's been in all sorts of stuff, from Harry Potter to Event Horizon, and now he is, of course, the Captain Gabriel Lorca in Star Trek Discovery which is returning to Netflix as of next week Monday January 8th very very excited about that and he came to London uh, November I think it was uh, to speak about the show and about his role in it and he brought with him a friend the show's lead Sinequa Martin-Green who plays Michael Burnham so Seneca Martin-Green is the lead, essentially, It's and Jason Isaacs. She's the lead of Star Discovery, which, if you haven't seen the first half of the first season, is on Netflix. And I really liked it. I thought it was very enjoyable, very different. Feels like Trek, but also feels some, like something new. So they both came in, and uh, Seneca Martin-Green in particular has a lot to say about the historical significance of anchoring a show like this as a black woman. So very, very interesting interview. A lot of fun, as you might expect. So enjoy. Uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the stars of Star Trek: Discovery, Sneakah Martin Green, Jason Isaacs. Yes. Welcome both. Jason, Thank you've been on this podcast two two weeks ago. I'm going to
3: shut up because two weeks ago I spoke for an hour and a half, and I, I'm as uh, much as I love the Empire viewers and listeners, uh, I'm sure that they're sick of me. So Sneakah, it's all you, darling. It's impossible to be sick
0: of you. Impossible. Exactly. Is it is it is it possible to be sick of well, Jason? No, I'm Jason. Mean, what are you
3: going to say?
4: No, what if? Well, you're, you're no, up, I right? love. So, uh, Jason, Jason. First of all, he's a beast of an actor, number one. Yeah. Um, it's true. And we all we all, we all, all know this. For the this. people
3: listening, I'm holding her cat at knife point.
4: Uh, well, I don't have a cat, you guys, so no. Well, not,
3: uh, not anymore. anymore. Yes. He's
4: just, he's just a who. He's so funny. So funny. So charming. Gotta love that, Stop Jason. now. Move on.
3: Gotta love it's that, It's nauseating. Jesus. People are throwing up into their porridge. Uh, do
0: you remember the first time? Uh, the, the, the first time your characters meet, is the first time we see you, Jason, in yeah, yeah. Star Trek Discovery. Absolutely. You uh, have to
3: wait three hours for it. Yeah. A so lot when of we're people doing all the launch publicity, I didn't want to say, because it's, you know, it's unseemly and slightly vain to go, by the way, if you're really looking forward to seeing me, you have to wait till episode three. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. But then there was a lot of online people going, oh, well, then why are they lying to us? He's not even in it. Unless mm-hmm. he's a Klingon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. In yeah. episode three, we meet. And for me, episode three is in many ways the second pilot. Oh, gosh, it it's is. It's when you get on the Discovery, and you it find is. out who she's going to be hanging out with for the next Ten years at least. Yes,
4: <laughs> yeah. definitely the second pilot. You know, I love I love the way that um, the way that we decided to tell the story, and that you get a really extended uh, prologue. Which is, which is lovely. You know, mm. to get a prequel within within the show with the first two episodes. Yeah.
3: It's yeah. not great for the Michelle Yeoh fans, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, who sign up to get a lot of Michelle Yeoh and they get maybe slightly less than they are expecting.
0: Well, they get two episodes. But it's an interesting thing because uh, you torpedoed my little theory, my pet theory, when you signed oh. on to the show, mm. was that you were going to be the one who was going to be Game of Thrones. Ah, I see. After, after, after three or four episodes. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, and, uh, of course, you know, Spoiler alert!
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Still it
0: was around. not the case. <laughs> Stuck around
3: like herpes. Yeah. Oh. So you've done the re- you've done the reverse Sean Bean. I, it- I have. We, many of us have reversed Sean Bean's <laughs> work in the world. We're doing our best. <laughs>
0: You said, I want to be in it from episode three. Oh, look, I just played Sean off? Bean in
3: Death of Stalin, so, uh, you know, all credit to him. <laughs> was, that, was that where the accent came from? No, it was Brian Glover, to be fair. A lot of people said it's Sean Bean, but I'm older my references go back further. Brian Glover? And I was being Brian Glover in my Amazing.
4: head. Amazing. <laughs> that's,
3: that's enough. Very
0: good. There you go. Started off with Jeff Goldblum. So moved on what to Brian are Glover. are they talking about? No, I
4: love it. No, I know very well what you're talking about. Yeah. I have not seen it yet, though. No, okay. Because I, tr- I, I tried to come out... And it was um, when it was in TIFF. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, and that's the Toronto Film
0: Festival. For yeah, you if you don't know <laughs> Not having a TIFF. And it was so sold every...
4: When I, when I logged on to get my tickets, every single showing was sold out.
0: Uh-huh. Wow. Let's, let's
4: so it well, continues the world it.
3: over forever.
4: Uh, <laughs> so I'll have to catch it at a later time.
0: Right. Well, the good news is, Nick, well, actually, it is playing right here in London. Tonight, As we speak. At a cinema near you. Yeah, I can, I can oh, Google it right snap. now.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. We can, we, now can, she you know, looks cornered, doesn't she? <laughs> no,
4: I don't look cornered. Oh, you, you got to give me... I have that me.
3: appointment with my manicurist.
4: <laughs> no, oh, please. I t- don't need that. Um, but yet yeah, that would be lovely, actually, yeah. if you really do want to Google oh, it for But me okay. can I just
3: say, I talked about Death of for an hour and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah. Let's steer it back to the Magnificent... We will. We will. Oh, we, we
0: will. We will. We well, will. Tell you what, while we're steering it back to you, Sneak, well, I will Google... Yes, or Death of Stalin because there's no, it's don't,
4: don't listen to Jason, you don't have to steer anything, okay? Let's talk about Death of Stalin, <laughs> no, all right?
3: So it's Brian Glover, you say? He was a magnificent Yorkshire yes. actor. Yes, and, uh, you were Ziket, modeling after him. And I modeled my accent <laughs> character. Okay. In fact, I just tasted an impression of Brian Glover. I played Brian Glover. But yes, yeah, so the first time you met,
0: can
1: yes.
4: you
0: remember that? Because I'm, I'm sure you weren't just thrown it. into that scene together.
4: Oh gosh! Yes, yeah. I loved it. I yeah. loved it. It was um, I really loved the way that it was uh, the way that it was written, the way that it was staged, and the way that um, our beloved Jason Isaacs played it. <laughs> um,
3: She's kissing the Eng- English <laughs> or British podcast listeners uh,
4: no 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 i mean i'm sure that they'd love to hear that but that's my truth mm. um because i really appreciated it i found it to be very refreshing because here you have this captain who you know as you were um saying earlier today that you you know uh, you made all of these decisions to you know sort of be outward um, facing outward and to be sort of I was staring outward. out the window. Yes yeah. and to also be sort of outward thinking um, so I really appreciated that about it you know you've got this captain I, I love the you know I think I like to think it makes me mysterious and yeah. I, love stand, I love the standing it, and it was very you know sort of um I was taken aback as Michael Burnham, which I loved. There was so much for me to, to you know, to think about yes. and pull from. Um, walking into this captain's room, and I, I, very, very quickly knew that he was very different than any captain I had ever met. And then there was also the question of why I was on the ship, because I knew very quickly also that it was because he wanted me to be there,
5: because
4: mm-hmm. um, that was me putting all of those clues together.
3: It's a great. It's a great meeting scene because yes. for the audience particularly since it's like a reboot pilot, to mm-hmm. pilot they are thinking like she's thinking what the fuck is going on <laughs> who is this weird dude why has he brought me here what does yes. he want with me and yeah. that you know ignited a billion fan theories online yes. uh, and some of which are, are still going some of those questions have been answered and, mm-hmm. and some of them haven't but actually we met well, I, I knew of Sneaker first when I was offered the job uh, and was thinking about whether to do it not. I asked my mate Lenny James who oh, is of course, a few yeah. from many things yep. uh, and I said so this was in Walking Dead Would you like And and Lenny went She's good people And that is such A ringing endorsement From someone Who's been in I trust That was a big part Of me signing on
0: Did you uh, do Due diligence In Mr. Isaacs here Did you You
4: consult Did
3: you consult Lenny James No you don't Ask him about me (laughs) Oh
4: that's so funny No I I didn't um, You know for me It was more about Jason's work which, Hmm. Which I was Familiar with um, the and tall guy, obviously
3: the Down the tall guy, <laughs> yep. my episode of Boone. Uh huh. Yeah. That one yeah. for
4: sure. Um, you know, I Arthur mean, I, d- some of the
3: Sundance films that you can't even get. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I knew yep. all of those. Cure for wellness. Um, yep. <laughs> I actually saw that later. Um, but no, I just, I just knew that I really loved his work. And so I was excited yeah. that he was, um, that he was on board because, um, I always, I always felt that he, um, he had such a, such an intensity and such a precision as well. So I was just excited for that.
3: I didn't know the other, it's the other actors in it. So I knew Sneaker I was working and I'd heard about her, but everyone else is, is, oh wow, a discovery. Did I say that? <laughs> oh God, shoot me. But, um, so some of the theater actors, a couple of them are young, almost fresh out of Juilliard, yeah. uh, and, uh, watching them kind of find their space and find their confidence and, and, uh, and get a little bit famous now. Watch, you know, I've been around a long time. So watching young people suddenly deal with being recognized in the street, it's. I feel like the Godfather of the set. I am the oldest, but I also feel like I, you know, spiritually, I'm, I'm nurturing. Watching all these people, they're all going to get episodes where it's all about them and storylines. It's all about them. Yeah. and it's really joyous watching people kind of spread their wings and flower.
4: Um. So, so what I love about our cast, and and um, I mean, I love our entire company, but you know, in our cast, like as he's saying, is you 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 know, you just have the sort of entire. Sphere of of experience with with this cast. You know, you have people who are just starting out, and then you've got seasoned actors who've been at this for a long time, um, and who have amassed a lot of success and have done some really amazing work. And so, mm-hmm. what does link us all is our passion for the story, mm-hmm. and um, and our belief in it, and um, our willingness to, 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 to dive head first. who
3: did this thing very early on, which uh, I think she inherited from the culture of The Walking Dead. She held. Uh, parties, games, nights, mm-hmm. and everybody's invited. There's no kind of hierarchy uh, off camera. Okay, uh, you know, it uh, um, doesn't matter how much screen time you get. Everybody's part of the the family. Sneak family. I hosted them because I had a house, you know, a slightly bigger space because my family was staying with me. And, um, and so very early on, we did that thing that often takes a long time when you work with people. Everyone was completely relaxed with each other and liked each other and trusted each other. Mm-hmm. Um, although I didn't know who half of them were because I'd never seen them without their rubber or silver heads on. Or
4: something. So but it
3: was, it made a huge difference to the working environment. It really did almost immediately.
4: Yeah. Thank you. And I think that speaking of that, you know, what I did inherit from the walking dead was just what it, what it feels like to be in a familial atmosphere and in a familial environment. And I realized just how much it fostered creativity. And I knew though, that I wasn't going to be able to, that it was going to have to be very different because with me being, you know, um, uh, the, the the lead of the show, I realized that I would have to sort of create it um, in my own way, mm, you know, sort of, of filter course. it through me, sinequa How yeah. how will I do this? And so mm. the, the the practice of it ended up being quite different than, than it was on on it's Walking a Dead. But, but to it was organize
3: re- a game's night and still want to win every <laughs> yes, single absolutely. fucking game when you're the lead actress and yet you still need to win That's Mafia so funny every time because I'm
4: very competitive. And, oh, and so yes. what but what I what will games? say though is that Mafia Mafia, Mafia yeah is okay. the biggest one. All right, um, there's also charades, but Mafia. (laughs) was the sort of MVP of the games. But what I also do have to say is that even though I came with this sort of understanding that this is the sort of environment that we should try to cultivate here um, and nurture, um, everybody agreed and not one person can do that. Everybody has to be of the mm. same mind. Everybody has to make that same decision. And so even Aaron and Gretchen talk about how they wanted very early on for this to be a family. And so they made yeah. decisions based on that. And everybody made that same decision. And, and so we were able to do it together.
3: Because film sets or television sets are incredibly hierarchical places generally and I remember my wife years ago saying i me mean, saying why don't you come and have lunch because I hate going to the set you don't see it it's like the Court of Louis XIV and <laughs> everyone has to laugh at your jokes and I said no no I see it I quite like it you know? um, but but they don't have to be Harry Potter wasn't yeah. I and mean, that filtered down from David uh, Heyman and David Barron and and the, for all that Sneak was giving uh, credit to the showrunners, they are in Los Angeles, we are in Toronto and it could have gone anyway, in any direction there are numbers of sets of very successful shows where there's an awkward and tense silence around and the lead actor strolls through and there's a wake you mm. know, uh, as they walk by and uh, she was very keen and successfully made sure that everybody felt like we were Putting on a play, go to the Edinburgh Festival.
0: This part of that comes from the fact that it's it's Star Trek, and Star Trek's a show about this, you know, togetherness, yeah, and uh, companionship, and and inclusion and just generally and inclusion and, yeah. and
3: generally not being
0: nasty. Right. Uh, and I know that maybe Star that's Trek true. cast in the past haven't quite got on as well as as
3: as, they, uh, as they, well, uh, the as the the ones that we've had experience with, or I have at yeah. least in, indirectly, socially next gen. Yeah. is next yeah. gen because Jonathan yeah. Frakes came and directed our show, and he's uh, um, spectacularly candid and yes, uh, he and. <laughs> They're his family. He absolutely adores them. They all adore each other. They all travel a lot together. They go and appear mm. all the time together. He couldn't wait. He said, I can't wait to introduce you to my family. And I thought he meant my family. And he didn't. He meant his next-gen yes. family. Yes, he was um, taking
0: um, out pictures of, of Patrick Stewart. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> Look at him now. Um, so uh, I don't know about the, you know, obviously one of his stories about the original series. Yes, that's what I'm referring uh, to. Him, yeah. I, I love those stories. I, I hope that they're all true.
0: And what does this uh, show mean to you? Not just Discovery, but the idea of Star Trek itself. Because Sonequa, at that press conference at Comic-Con, I remember you getting quite emotional about mm-hmm. uh, one question at one point about, right. about, about what it meant to you to play this role. And, and Jason, a few weeks ago on Twitter, you're amazing on Twitter right now at the moment, by the way. Um, <laughs> Techno Prisoners, keep doing it, keep doing it. Um,
3: There's a bunch of fuckwit. I, mean, <laughs> I have no tolerance for it. People who don't like Star Trek, God bless them, or don't like what we're doing, that, that's absolutely fine. Right. But the white... The, the white supremacists, the kind of, you know, crazy race hate groups who mm. were pretending they were Star Trek fans and not watching because Sneak was in the lead. Yeah. You know, it's uh, like, have you uh, seen the show to, <laughs> at yeah. all? I got a few hundred thousand people uh, yeah. or prepared to spend a lot of time playing Bashamol on their egos with me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, come forward.
0: Uh, there, was, there was one specific tweet. I think you uh, replied to someone. Someone said, well, why are you in Star Trek? Uh, you know, and you said something along the lines, if I could have worked elsewhere for more, for more money, but I did it because of Star Trek. Oh, that-,
3: that was not one of my wittier retorts, obviously. No, but it. it yeah. Um, yeah, it's not. I mean, th- there was an expectation among some people that this is some kind of corporate grab mm-hmm. for, uh, for money and viewers. And you know, everything is a business, it's true. But what I, I think the Star Trek community, who are rightly very protective of this uh, story and legacy and, and, and the themes that they've loved for so long, uh, they were. Cynical and skeptical about the people who are making it. Once the show started and once they engaged with them, it became clear that in the writers' room there are more obsessive OCD trekkers than you're ever going to find anywhere else, you know, per capita. And uh, they'll spend weeks and weeks discussing whether something is soft canon or hard canon. I oh, couldn't complain about that. I'm just trying to tell great stories. I presume it's gone through their filter. Sure. Um, and I, don't, I love all the creative stuff, but I don't. Um, those people who tell me that I'm an actor and shouldn't have a political opinion. First of all, Get the fuck off my Twitter feed if you're not interested in what I have to say. And secondly, there's a third-rate reality TV star threatening the world and selling, you know, selling race hatred and, yeah. and sexual predation in the White House. So if you don't think entertainers should have opinions, then vote him out.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well said, well said. And Siniko, uh, um, uh, talking about what Star Trek means to you, it seems to be the show that you know. Did, were you did you watch it growing up? Was that something that you were invested in?
4: Uh, no, so I I had a peripheral understanding of, of, of Star Trek growing up. Um, I remember reruns of, of TOS being on the television. I remember Next Gen. I remember a little bit of Deep Space Nine. I remember sort of running back and forth by the TV. Oh, Star Trek's on, okay, that kind of thing. So I still felt like, even though I didn't sit down and watch it with my parents, that it was part of my upbringing in a very um, lovely kind of way. So I I, I wasn't a Trekkie, a, a trekky, uh, Trekker before. I am now. That's for sure. I and, you just correct yourself
3: from trekker to Trekker. so you clearly know the landscape.
4: Yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, is that official you know, now? A
3: trekker is it still yeah. tracker. No, no, I what always it? get confused.
4: Yeah, Trekker is the new. Yeah. Trekker's the new. The new term. Just try trackeruni. Trackeruni. Trackeruna.
0: We'll make that work.
4: Uh, <laughs> so, um, what about trekster? What's what next? Um, but anyway, um, so I, you know, to me, I mean, it's just it's it's astounding because. I, it, mean, it means a lot to me in so many different ways. It means a lot mm-hmm. to me as a black woman. It means a lot to me as a woman. Mm-hmm. It means a lot to me as a human being. It means a lot to me as an artist. It means a lot to me as a mother. Um, you know, pastry I,
3: chef. means nothing to as <laughs> a
4: pastry chef. Pastry no, no, chef. Okay. Mm, I'm not very good Just at being me. a pastry chef. Right. Although I do like to bake. I hate cooking, but I like to bake. So I guess it means something to me in that way too. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um so um, Jason is um, notorious Sorry, I'm for putting you off your stride. No, it's it's Please, hilarious. And, yeah, he you know he loves to interrupt and is this is one of the games you
3: play in games Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, and sort of throw you off. It's one of his favorite things to do but but I um, no, it it meant a lot to me um, because I just I, I just really do believe in the power of storytelling and I really believe in the change that is possible from stories it's the reason why question, um there there he is again yeah. interrupting um, it's, no, it's a question to help um, you carry
3: on but well on, remember finish, it and ask me in a
4: second um so i i i just feel that i i think that people Obviously, entertainment is one of the major spheres of influence in our society. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that obviously that's that's for reason. I think that people really are affected and moved and changed by, by stories. And so this legacy in particular, w- with it having the sort of iconography of universality and diversity and unity and community um, and equality, yeah. um, I think with us continuing with that legacy, I'll, obviously then it means everything to me to be a part of it yes. um, because then I believe that we all become a part of the conversation and then we can all sort of be a part of the solution because the problem we're, we're inundated with it right now especially in America um, oh, believe and it's happening so, in Europe, and then. of course I, I, yeah. I know and, and I'm just speaking of the presidency right now and um, and so I think that you know to, to, to look around you and to turn on the news and to always see the problem I think there are many solutions I just think that we could maybe perhaps be one of them Um, and uh, we could just part, Be part of a whole mm. um, that is that is the solution, and I always say this. I think people need a vision. They need a vision of something before they can um, before they can have action yeah. um, in their lives, and so that's why it means a lot to me to be a part of. So it.
3: Well, I was going to ask you. So when this came around, and now we be doing publicity for it. And once you're involved in it, you realize mm-hmm. what the legacy is. Mm-hmm. When I look back to the Star Trek that I remember when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I just absolutely loved the stories. Mm-hmm. I had no idea I was being sold mm-hmm. subliminally mm-hmm. a message of unity and of mm-hmm. uh, integration. And, uh, and of inclusion uh, now I look back at it, in not just that whole bunch of other stuff one of my favourite episodes is that, called Miri about when you, you hit uh, puberty you get some horrible mm-hmm. wasting disease and you die and I had no idea it was you know a kind of metaphor for, for life and adulthood and, and mm-hmm. now that I have two teenage girls I realise what, what a horror <laughs> all that stuff is but, but uh, I didn't realized until we looked at it again I was doing it that it was a it was sending out a message at the t- at the height of the cold mm-hmm. war that there's a russian there obviously I'm not a black woman so I didn't realize the significance of a exactly. and the first interracial kiss and exactly. and uh, uh, and every other kind of progressive yeah. message it was sending mm-hmm. did you know that young or did you discover it with me when you started to engage with this no another?
4: I knew it young because I do mm-hmm. have a very different experience than you um so you know as a, as a black woman, I did know what you meant when I was a child, mm-hmm. um, and I think I could I could probably um, I could probably say that anybody who feels that they that that there is a dearth of of them on the TV screen um, is going to be moved by seeing it in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, no matter their age and so I think that you know again Star Trek has always had um, has has always had that and I think that since there since there is such a such a need for um, a a more um, sort of a, co- a more correct yeah. uh, mirror image of our society since there's such a need for it. I think people recognize it in the moment. You know, I certainly think now having the first openly gay officer mm-hmm. um, in an iteration of Star Trek is going to mean a lot for someone right now when they see it right and where now. it's not the center um, of the
3: story. It's just, it's just, it's, it. it's just part of it. Same with all of it. Same with the couple. first
4: Asian mm-hmm. female captain, the first yeah. black female lead. You know, it's like this is not something that's a part of the conversation in the Star Trek world, but it unfortunately and perhaps fortunately is still a part of the conversation in our present day. But I think that um, because of the dearth of these of these images, that they mean something to someone in the moment, and even perhaps later as well. I think the the effect sort of reverberates.
3: Well, we're being told at the moment by all kinds of powerful people around Mm -hmm. the world to separate into smaller and smaller groups, you know, and uh, so just the vision of a bunch of people solving problems uh, where it's kind of irrelevant what color their skin is or what their gender is or what their sexuality is, Mm -hmm. uh, it sends a subliminal message that isn't front and center, but is not just incredibly powerful, but Mm -hmm. more needed than ever.
0: Yeah, it feels like Star Trek's always presented this utopian ideal and... It's in our show, of course. In a strange Ten way.
3: years before that. Precisely. Stuff uh, really coalesces. And so there's a lot of friction, not between groups, but yeah. uh, the well, look, prime directive has yeah. not really settled. They're at war and people show their best and worst
4: sides. There. Right. I mean, but we're also 90 years after Enterprise, though. So we're sort of like in this little, <laughs> you know, we're in a kind of a pocket. There's a
0: small pocket. A small exactly. pocket in you which watch, you can operate. Did
4: you watch Enterprise? I don't know
3: anybody who watched Enterprise. Yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah, I did.
0: Yeah. Uh, when you got this show or did you watch it at the time?
4: I watched it when I got this show.
0: Okay. So mm-hmm. you had a sort of... You you binged on Star Trek. I did. Have you been watching um, Discovery at all? Do you watch yourselves? And if so, have you been watching yourselves with the Klingon subtitle option? Because mm. that is something that freak No, No,
3: me we met the guy who did the Klingon mm. subtitles. He mm. gave me his card yesterday. And should I ever want something translated into Klingon? I cannot imagine a single case of that ever occurring in my Enough. life I have his phone number there you uh, go no I did when they started to do the Klingon I mean they obviously they take it absolutely seriously there's Klingon opera and there's Klingon Shakespeare and Klingon you mm. know uh, and it's a very you can study it you can, I think you can do it at university uh, and they had the world's foremost Klingon expert writing their language somebody them, helping the edit and a brilliant dialect coach but I've got to tell you as the other actor when you don't know what the hell's going on it's incredibly boring to listen to because you don't have <laughs> subtitles when you're shooting a scene and at the read-through, we went, the first time I had to go, uh, we give up our lunchtime to go and do a read-through of the next script. And these people are sitting there going... And it gets ten minutes in, and I went, we seriously got to listen to... And suddenly, five heads, if they could kill, they all turned and looked at me. And that was the last time I asked that.
4: I, I mean, I have so... I'm, I'm not even lying. I have so much respect... For uh, for Mary Chifo and for Kenneth oh. Mitchell, who are just knocking it out of the park yeah, because they don't is, just act; they, do, exactly, exactly. they don't exactly do the language. Exactly, they're doing everything, and they're and just the fact that you're seeing all of that life that they're bringing yeah. um, behind the prosthetics and with the Klingon language, it's and a,
3: delineating it's characters marvelous. so clearly. I mean, yeah, so Doug mar- Jones, Doug Jones, who's famously played a whole mm. bunch of rubber people, uh, has once again created a completely unique and idiosyncratic fully round, rich character, while wearing a big rubber bucket on his head. It's unbelievable.
0: But as you say, the show does operate in that small pocket, before that utopian ideal. And...
3: uh, Yeah. Well, that's why it's a you know there's there's a moral conundrum uh, uh, every single week or th- running throughout the whole thing. How do you conduct yourself? Well, how are we ever going to get to a place? It's all very well in peacetime to go. We're going to explore, and we're never going to uh, you know we're going to be very careful how we affect communities. But uh, you're, if you remember after nine eleven, the Patriot Act came through, and others mm-hmm. similar. The right to silence, uh, which was hundreds yeah. or thousands of years uh, um, in the. in in its genesis here, was suspended immediately. And so all of the civil rights we hold dear, suddenly when your life is threatened, you're under existential threat, can go out the window. And uh, that was what Snowden's uh, release was all about. And so we... We are, although we're set a long time in the future, we are absolutely dealing with the, all of the current difficult contemporary ethical questions. The Klingon war, when you watch all the houses argue with each other, is all about assimilation and mm. national identity, which is something, as Europeans, we hear mm-hmm. discussed almost every day on every side of the political yeah. spectrum. Uh,
0: but does it, does it give you leeway as well with your characters? Because Michael and, and Gabriel are not the... Captain Lorca, I say, thanks very much. Captain Lorca, my yeah, son. Very sorry, so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just feel like I know him so well. One person called me <laughs> really?
3: Gabriel. I slept with her. I threw flint <laughs> guns. Just be very careful.
0: Good point. Good point. Uh, there's, there's a certain murkiness, especially to Captain Lorca. Uh,
3: murkiness?
0: Murkiness. I would say. I'm not sure what that. Means. I would say. What
4: did you just say, though? You said I slept with her and then threw it to the Klingons. That's <laughs> that what you just clear. said. I'm that just is murky. To watch, worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the definition. Well, of I'm murkiness. prepared to do what it
3: takes to win a war because I'm, I think I'm surrounded by uh, idiots and people who signed up to travel the world and uh, you know and send pictures home, and that the people back in Starfleet headquarters don't haven't fully processed the existential threat we're under. The Klingons, if they win this war, uh, will be killing or uh, conquering trillions of people. Mm-hmm. And it's my job. I'm at, the, I'm at the sharp end of the spear. It's my job to use this science vessel and these bunch of hippies to try and win the war. And so I, I'm not taking any prisoners. And I frankly have suspend, suspended all normal Geneva Convention and ethical yeah. considerations to do it. Um, I think I've found a, a kindred spirit mm-hmm. in bringing Michael Burnham onto the ship. Uh, I'm not sure I had processed how that experience would have challenged her. And she's not exactly who I thought I was getting.
4: Yes, I think, you know, this war is, is <laughs> I love that it's the major conflict of our season because it just brings up so many, um, so many issues and, and questions within each of us. And I think it has very much, it is, it is such a great landscape um, for each of us to discover. <laughs> um um each other um Ooh. through discovering ourselves i mean this yeah. this this backdrop of war obviously we find out who we are at the moment of greatest pressure and that's what's happening with everyone um in the story and and i love that i love that it's uh that it's sort of having a an, a, a butterfly effect you know outward mm. that everybody's on their on on that same sort of trajectory of discovery and and i think that with You know, with this science vessel, because like he was saying, you know, the discovery was is essentially a science vessel. And so you've got these people who um, I I love, you know, Lorca believes that they're hippies and and, and sort of idiots and whatnot. But it's it's you know, these are geniuses. You know, everybody's a genius in their own right. It's kind of like, you know, when you have a player in the NBA, it's like, okay, so that player might be on the bench, but they're. Amazing at yeah. basketball, yeah. right? And were and they were a champion in their hometown. And they, you know, it's like these people are so smart at, at, and um and the best of the of the best. Um because discovery is that type of ship where you yeah, know you it's a serious um sort of um yeah, It doesn't help you know you pie to
3: twenty thousand places um, when someone's coming at you with a knife. Well,
4: no, that well actually that's what I was gonna lead to before you interrupt me. Um but <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say that uh that yeah, you know, everybody everybody is you know you get you get a it's a promotion to get to the discovery. Yeah. So you already have to have a certain skill set and uh knowledge base and 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 um capability and intelligence to be there. Mm. So then but then you take a science vessel that is then forced into this conflict and is at the moment of greatest pressure where all of a sudden, oh my goodness, now I have to be a soldier. Yeah. And and you know and like he said, you know, he's this sort of perfect person to prime you know these people for this because of his own experiences before um, you know, in his life, you know, it's interesting that we have both of these, you know, captains that have uh, such such um, deep understanding of war. Um, the yeah, same was true for Captain O. So it's, it's, Didn't you know, do much good, did it? <laughs> oh, gosh. I, um, Burnham had a hand in that. Um, but anyway, it's, Mummy. Uh, <laughs> mommy. Um, so anyway, it, it, it is very interesting to yeah. see, to see everybody having to sort of rise to the no, challenge.
3: Yeah. All that said, there's a bit of sleight of hand, I think, rather cleverly the writers did. They set it up. It's a war story. The whole thing is a war story to an mm-hmm. extent. But actually... The Klingon War fades very far into the background. We get all kinds of very interesting character cul-de-sacs. The kind of the Jaws music, the throb of danger is underneath it all. But we don't really spend a lot of time in the war. Yeah. We just use it To set the stakes It's like Hitchcock's Suitcase under the table mm-hmm. it's, it's there yeah, And it's that there. Ma- that heightens the stakes For what's a l- essentially Deep character drama Most of the time
0: I gotta let you guys go but, uh, Someone's
3: waving You're being waved There's a big hook it's, uh, yeah. stage. <laughs> Taking me off here But uh, so Chris what are we talking about In two weeks time uh, I don't know What do you want to talk about In two weeks <laughs> time Obviously it's the 25th anniversary Of Event Horizon yeah.
0: 20th, <laughs> 20th anniversary Yeah All we'll right. talk about that um, But can I just say one, A couple of last things Very very quickly uh, Jason Snake uh, would just said uh, Lorca and not Captain Lorca And I noticed he didn't Pick her up in that that's fine. Oh, cast step. member privileges. I get it. It's okay. <laughs> uh- Secondly, Sonequa, are you are you glad now that you're on this show that it has job security? Because I imagine oh. The Walking Dead. <laughs> <That's>
4: so funny. <laughs> you know, I I don't I don't um, I don't like to really look at it in that way. I really don't. It's like job security. Uh, I'm too busy trying to you know tell this story. Okay. It's like I, you know that's it's great to, to to be on the show and in the capacity that I'm on it. Yeah. But that's not necessarily something that I think about. Because uh, that's one of those sort <laughs> of outside. Ain't
3: you ain't dying anytime soon.
4: <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It's like you know, it's like one of those sort of outside, outside considerations that I that I try not to have.
0: Okay, you'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, and Jason, I
4: thought I'm not we're... worried, but you know, why would you what be about worried? My job
3: security. Now I'm extremely worried.
4: I know. Look, should he be?
3: I don't know. Should you be? <laughs> <laughs> I, <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'll be can Age
0: talk Age about in two weeks time. In two weeks time. There we, we go. We'll it's yeah, I want Jason's you to have learned the Klingon. For that's enough. (laughs) Uh, And then just come on, do that. And then just leave. You said the
3: Klingon for the Latin in in, Event Horizon, which I misremember all the time.
0: Uh, Which is Liberate, liberate
3: ex infere tutemet or something. There you go. Liberate tutemet ex inferis. Ah. I knew you'd get it right. There you go. Geek you. (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah thank you for that. Okay.
3: Thank goodbye you so much, to Dave. all the Empire listeners you won't hear me for a long time I swear <laughs> <laughs> oh and
0: 540 540 for the death of Stalin at the Odeon
4: oh <laughs> awesome thank you for looking that up uh, bye you it's guys bye bye
0: thanks everyone okay so that was Jason Isaacs and Seneca Martin Green I wonder if she ever did get to see the death of Stalin who knows Helen perhaps you can lend her a screener sure yeah yeah you never lend us any
1: no, I'm not, I definitely don't lend out screeners.
0: You don't lend out screeners. No. You would just connect with Martin Green.
1: I, I feel like they'd probably be okay with that, but I'd probably let people, <laughs> so people know first. Yeah.
2: Do they come with your name on them, like yeah. on the screen, yeah. burned in? Yeah,
1: yeah, awesome. And they say for your consideration.
2: Oh, Ugh. that's nice. That's
0: good. They would let me in. I give Tactic Loans five stars and just burn my bridges.
2: Seems fair. Yeah. All right. so we have some movie news?
0: Yeah, let's. What's been happening? Has anything been happening over Christmas? There's Uh, been some news.
1: Yeah, there
2: has. The future is bright in more ways than one. Uh,
1: (laughs) And also yet less. And less bright for the rest of us. Uh,
2: (laughs) Yes, this is David Ayer's Bright, uh, which was a Netflix original, which cost just shy of $100 million. In many ways, the first streaming blockbuster, I think we can kind of say. Um, And it's terrible. And they're making another one. So that's... Interesting news. I um I reviewed this for the mag. I mean, I say it's terrible. It's it's terrible is a strong word. But it is. is, Okay, I mean, yes, it's a fair word and it's accurate in this case. But it it, this bugged me because I I really wanted to like Bright. Mm. I really like the setup. I like the idea. It thinks it's more original than it is because we've all seen Alien Nation, which is much the same thing. But it's really heavy-handed. Has absolutely no nuance or subtlety, and you can kind of see where it's going a mile off, and it just. I mean, it, it, it's one of these things. It's a brilliant idea that should work on every level, and kind of fails on all of those actual levels.
1: Deeply fails, yeah. I would say.
2: Yeah, and I get, I get. I mean, the, the film feels like it's setting up for a sequel. It's setting up for you know, even a series, you might say. But I don't want to watch
1: one. I'm, I'm, I'm really. I did like one line in it. Um, there's a line where uh, Joel Edgerton's character um, Jake Jacoby is, yeah. is talking about um, how they're in a prophecy. And Will Smith goes, we're not in a prophecy, we're in a stolen Honda Accord. <laughs> now that, that is a good line. Everything else in it, like the, especially the racial stuff, because yes. it's meant to be a huge oh. racial me- metaphor and it is toe-curlingly bad really as is. such, um, is really quite upsetting. So at the very least, they need a new rider, I think, um, and, hmm. and probably quite a bit more besides.
2: The direction felt a little bit rough and ready do you know what I mean like David Ear has done some really good stuff and obviously he's come off the back of Suicide Squad so it's unfortunate he's followed up with this but I think yeah absolutely as you say the biggest offender here is definitely Max Landis because the screenplay is all over the shop.
1: but the other thing was watching it and knowing about the 90 million dollar budget and Mm. so on it doesn't feel it does it a lot of it the time? It doesn't.
2: No, it feels quite small. Like, and it's very dark.
1: We keep going, but it's very, very dark. Mm. Uh, presumably on purpose. Not but metaphorically.
2: We, I mean physically dark.
1: We keep yeah. going back to one building that seems to be made out of like shipping containers, yes. and that's that looks like it cost about fifty p. So, yeah. what did the rest of the money go on? Like,
2: it's it's
1: kind of bizarre. They
2: paid like was it four million just for the script, which they must be <laughs> kicking themselves over. Yeah, it's it's hard to see where the money went on that. It's it's a curious one. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that they've greenlit another one because this is one of those situations where, uh, and, you know, no disrespect for Netflix, who I have an awful lot of affection for, but they can state whatever they like about how the film did and no one can contradict them because they don't release their figures. Mm. Uh, and they released a very confusing statement saying, and it was probably a typo, saying that this was the most successful film to debut on Netflix and one of the most successful originals. I'm like, hang on, that makes no sense. I uh, Presumably they meant it the other way around as the most successful original and one of the most successful film debuts. But either way, it seems a bit like, is it though? Really?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I will say in this defense, I quite liked uh, Jacoby's character. I quite liked his sort of slightly downtrodden, sort of trying to make the best of a bad situation mm. approach. So I, I guess more from... Those characters isn't so bad. It was just the story and the setup well, and the plot. New Year,
2: New <laughs> Month, <laughs> resolutions. Let's be positive. Yeah. I will yeah. say what I would look forward to to Bright Two, which presumably <laughs> those are gonna call Brighter. Um more more fancy characters. We saw one centaur and one fairy in this, otherwise it's yeah. just orcs and elves. It's like, yeah, okay, let's branch and oh, we saw a dragon flapping over the horizon. Yeah. But so let's have a bit more of an awareness of the world and let's branch out from really embarrassing kind of LA cliche stuff like the Beverly Hills sign being rewritten in Elvish and stuff like that. I mean let's let's, you know, be a little bit more subtle. Mm. Without metaphors,
1: more subtle would be yes. would be super mm, good. Some subtle. There, there's a lot of urban fantasy out there that would be a better mm-hmm. model from this for Definitely. this than, than a lot of what they did. Mm. Um, I mean, the Harry Dresden books, which are yes. crack cocaine, keep of, me of start those. literary crack cocaine. The first couple are, are pretty ropey, and and the rest are ropey too. But you don't care anymore because yeah. you've kind of gotten it's into it. Readable ropey. It's we're massively read your fans. come on. Yeah, yeah, it's genuinely. It's like a fantasy reacher. Yeah. It's really you're, really likable. You're reaching to the um, choir. And, uh, and, and something like that does all of this much, much better.
0: Yes, it does. Well, speaking of films that we're seeing by a lot of people over the Christmas period as well, we have uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, which has done really, really well. The yeah. box office, by the way, so uh, happens, yeah. has displayed some serious legs. Uh, but we're sp- talking specifically about Star Wars The Last Jedi, which has just crossed the billion-dollar threshold and will shortly become the biggest film of 2017. But I've seen, a, not a huge amount, but I've seen... A, a couple of articles, and some people on the internet, and this is, don't worry, this is not spoiler special stuff, mm-hmm. talking about the fact that they think that that is a disappointment. Because what you're doing is you're coming up against, you're coming after The Force Awakens, which uh, made $2 billion worldwide, yeah. third biggest film of all time. And this one isn't flying with the same force.
2: <laughs> I wanted to avoid that, but I could not believe anyone thought this was going to make as much money as the Force Awakens, and I don't think I think a lot of people expected it to be a better, like a better film than The Force Awakens, you know. And uh, many of them were not disappointed. Uh, but the Force Awakens was the return of Star Wars. So it was a cultural event in a way that this isn't. So it doesn't surprise me too. I think it was a it, as we've said, in the, it's a blip. It was a, it was an unusual yeah. event. I think it's very hard to replicate that. But Force Awakens made a
0: billion in the states alone. Mm. I mean, no film has come close to that. Not even Avatar has come close to that. And that's that's a lot to to, uh, to go up against. I mean, uh, I'm looking at box office mojo.com's figures. So as of the recording of this podcast, it's made pretty much 50-50, 539 million domestic, 551 million foreign. Uh, but it does seem to be slowing down. And and it's going to make, it's going to end up probably 1.4, 1.5 billion, something like that, which is a big drop from... Uh, from Force Awakens yes I think you're right there was a perfect storm around Force Awakens absolutely Mm -hmm. no doubt about that but do we think this is emblematic of something else Uh, we know that a lot of people or at least a very focal minority are unhappy with we're not going to talk about plot spoilers obviously but was unhappy with the events portrayed within The Last Jedi do we think that that has somehow bled into its box office take?
1: I'm sure that that noise around the film has probably had some kind of effect. But the overall, the cinema score of this film, which is one of the the metrics that studios look at carefully to see the kind of legs that a film has, is going to have, that has been good. Most people mm-hmm. going to see this film have liked it mm-hmm. and have presumably recommended it to others. So I think it is mostly the sort of generational effect that's had the drop-off. And, you know, I was reading one article, I think it was uh, uh, in Forbes, uh, talking about, you know, how Will, High Will, The Last Jedi recover from its glowing reviews and billion-dollar-plus box office. Like, this is not a disappointment by any mm. rational standard. agree, no. no.
0: yeah. The first time I saw a is, is Star Wars struggling or is Star Wars... I can't remember what the article was, but someone said, is, is Star Wars on the way out? I was like, No. And I've seen a lot of people go, oh, these numbers are, these numbers would be fine for any movie that's not a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie or, uh, or a Jurassic Park movie. This is crazy. This is, this is a a mad situation.
1: This is a mad situation. I I, I do think that, yeah, there is a conversation to be had about how long this can be sustained, how long this model of gigantic event movies uh, can be sustained. And, and because people keep talking to, I'm sure all of us, about, oh, I'm so tired of all these sequels and all these blockbusters, and yet they keep going to see them, mm. but will they continue to? Because they keep bitching about it at the same time. So I, there is there is a, <laughs> definitely a conversation to be had about what Hollywood is doing with this approach and if a Star Wars film every single year is too many and if, you know, whatever else, but... As long as they're good films, I don't fundamentally think people will go see them mostly. But th- there is a, there is a, I guess there is a danger of fatigue, and there's a danger of fatigue may- meaning that people ignore them even if they get good reviews and even if they are good films. It, it, there's a conversation to be had, but this is not the film to have it about.
2: If you're looking to replicate the box office success of The Force Awakens, of Titanic, of Avatar, then. It kind of, you're dreaming a little bit. I mean, these were all films that were cultural events, like all of them, you know, whether it be Titanic, which was a huge, amazing visual thing that people mm. hadn't seen before that had mass cross-spectrum appeal in a way that few films around did and then avatar which was essentially the birth of modern 3d and then uh, force awakening which is the return of star wars you know these are all milestones and the last jedi even if it had been the greatest film ever made was not going to make that kind of money
1: yeah it is weird though isn't it um the original star wars my grandparents went to see that and i think it was the first time they had been to the cinema in about 20 years Because they had to go see that. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're saying. That's exactly what happened with Titanic. That's exactly what happened with Avatar. Because
2: it's repeat Um, viewing, isn't it? The box office come from repeat viewing.
1: Whereas, you know, and my parents were were very excited to see The Force Awakens when we dragged them along to it. This time they were a bit like, oh, it's another Star Wars movie. Okay. Yeah, the novelty's worn off. The novelty's worn off. Mm.
0: Well, there's another one coming along in four months' time. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll be fascinated to see what happens. I mean, uh, long-term, with this many Star Wars movies. It doesn't seem to have hurt Marvel too much, but that might be as much with the quality of the films as it is. With, quality,
1: of, And the other thing about the Marvel movies is there's a bit more room for tonal variation yes. from one chapter to the next, That's which so point. far we've not entirely had with Star no. Wars.
2: So, I don't think... Any of these films coming up with the exception of Solo should have any impact on how you perceive Star Wars. Like the prequels were a very specific thing because they came along and they undermined something that you loved because they directly impacted that story and those characters. But these films take place afterwards, take them or leave them. Like I can, I love The Last Jedi, but even if I hadn't loved The Last Jedi, it would have diminished my love of the original Star Wars films in no way and changed the way I felt about them in no way. I think they run into difficulties when they deal with Solo or Rogue One where they're tinkering. In prequel territory, uh, but I think as long as they keep stuff in a separate timeline afterwards, not impacting that stuff, they can do whatever they want. You know, there it's fine. It's fine. Take the good with the bad. Uh, Chill uh, out, agreed. people. Agreed. Your yeah. childhoods remain with their virtue intact. It's fine. Fully agreed. Uh, and we'll get into that more in our Star
0: Wars: The Last Jedi supporter special, Shall I am help? sure. Um, okay, so anything else that happened? Not uh, really.
1: A couple of little things. Um, the Overboard remake um, has a trailer.
2: Oh my god! So did you watch it?
1: Well, no. Should I not?
2: <laughs> it isn't good. Okay. Um, it's much less creepy than the original, which is just upsetting, actually, when you watch it with a... I mean, frankly, it should have been upsetting them, but especially in with a modern head on, if you watch that, it's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, man it, abducts woman that makes her his wife and lies to her. Um, in yeah. this case, it's slightly different. It's not quite, you know, it's played more for slightly goofy, I would say, more broad laughs. Yes, Uh, but no, I I, I don't think this is a film I shall be pre-ordering tickets for
1: Fair enough, and uh, Quentin Tarantino's Star Trek idea has a writer in the shape of Mark L. Smith of The Revenant, Um, so QT himself will not be on scripting duties Mm.
0: Intriguing Mm. Very intriguing, can I just say I've just uh, got an early birthday present Johnny English Three is going to open on my birthday this year. Wow, uh, September twentieth, uh, and it's opening a day before Robin Hood and the House with a Clock on its Walls. Although they may move now, because wow. Johnny English Three has <laughs> you want to you want to skirt that one. You want to give it a couple of weeks, I would say. So I'm very very excited about that. The sequel, of course, to Johnny English Reborn. <laughs> I'm I'm very excited about it. It's gonna be it's gonna be um a film. There's no doubt about that. Uh, not a lot's happened, really. Oh, yes, this bad boy's come out. That's yeah. right. Yeah, thanks, Helen.
1: New Empire.
0: New Empire. New issue of Empires is on, on sale right now, and all good and evil news agents. Very, very excited about it. It, it is led on the cover. It's a 2018 preview. Uh, it is led by Black Panther. Uh, so Terry White, our fearless leader, went on set to Atlanta... It was Atlanta, yeah. I believe so, yeah. Uh, went to Atlanta, visited the set, talked to Chadwick Bozeman and then the director Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan and uh, pretty much everybody involved with the film. Very, very exciting stuff. Lots of new images from the movie in there. Lots of new info as well about it. Uh, and that leads to 2018 preview which also has lots of info on Deadpool 2. Uh, and Deadpool 2, the marketing for this movie, has been, shall we say, left field. <laughs> and... So we said, hey, Ryan Reynolds, would you like to talk to us about Deadpool 2? And he goes, I've got a better idea. How about I draw you a comic strip that has no relation to what happens in the film? And we went, yeah, thanks very much. (laughs) Uh, So in here we have a Deadpool 2, original piece of Deadpool 2 art by Deadpool himself, don't forget, who is a real person. Uh, and that's Who very, lives very funny. in Ryan
1: Reynolds' head. <laughs> he
0: really does. And uh, we've got all sorts of stuff as well from Ready Player One, Infinity War, Mortal Engines, all sorts of stuff. It's, Did you also see exciting.
1: Ryan Reynolds' definitive take on the Hollywood Chris's? Uh,
0: no. Oh, three types of ice cream, something three, like that? Yes, when yeah. you're getting
1: ice cream, I like to have three scoops. So, there you go.
0: <laughs> uh, we've also done a bit of a refresh, the, re- the, uh, the design of the magazine this month, so do check that out. But we obviously have... Got lots of great stuff. The news section has exclusives on Mute and A Wrinkle in Time and the new Netflix show Altered Carbon and Richard Linklater talks about Last Flag Flying and there's a piece in there by Helen Ohura about House of Cards. Who, right. Someone talks to John Krasinski. Who is that? Who talks to that? Oh,
1: that was me. I oh, was it, yeah.
0: Uh, we also got Ghost Stories. We've got Tomb Raider. I've got Helen Mirren there. First look at Robin Hood. First look at The Meg. Jason Statham versus a giant shark. The Megalodons <laughs> are extinct. marine biologists but so are
1: mermaids Chris (laughs)
0: this is true Uh, we've got tons of stuff in there as well the feature section is uh, equally uh, brilliant Uh, what else else? what's in the feature section oh look it is it's Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep in conversation uh, talking about Steven Spielberg's The Post which is all sorts of of good Uh, we have the first report from Joe Cornish's new movie The Kid Who Would Be King we have a first look at X-Men Dark Phoenix with director Simon Kinberg Terry Gilliam's the Man Who Killed Don Coyote, Bumblebee, oh, all sorts of stuff. And I got to go to LA uh, last month to talk to Guillermo del Toro and Doug Jones about their illustrious career together. Not only have they made The Shape of Water, but they've made Hellboy 1 and 2 together and Crimson Peak and Mimic and uh, Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth, Labyrinth, of course. And so their extraordinary career together and they're great friends. And that was, a, that was a whole load of fun. And the Empire interview this month is Rachel Vise, who is awesome. Uh, quickly very very quickly the review section uh, focuses on Brawl and Cell Block 99 there's a great piece on uh, Austin Powers and how the look of Austin Powers came about 20 years on from Austin Powers just about just squeaked in wow. before the anniversary uh, expired Doug Lyman talks about American Made and The Wall and we have a new thing we have a new regular called the ranking, where a group of Empire writers get together and we take a subject. In this case, this month, Christopher Nolan. Next month, it's going to be Stephen King adaptations. Month after that, I cannot say. Uh, and we we argue the toss on them, and then we rank their films, coming up with a definitive, <laughs> definitive Empire stamped top 10 this was a lot of fun that bit it, it it's, a like fun. A, it's like a it's like a mini
2: podcast transcribed yes. in your issue uh,
0: and it is in fact going to be the full thing because you get an edited uh, excerpt in the magazine and the full thing will then be released as a podcast uh not the christopher nolan episode because i, did delete it. <laughs> <laughs> I deleted the super good chris thanks yeah. but it's totally fine everything else is fine and it's all good so pick that up uh, on sale now all good and evil news agents Andrea Risborough is one of the most versatile actresses. I mean, last year, for example, Alone, she was seen in The Death of Stalin, Mindhorn, Battle of the Sexes, three vastly different performances. Plus, she shows up in the Black Mirror episode Crocodile. And so she came in to London just before Christmas to talk about that. I went along to speak to her and a good time was had by all. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of episode three of series four of Black Mirror Crocodile, Andrew Rysburg. How are you?
5: I'm good. I thought it was episode one, actually.
0: Well, according to my thing, when I watched it today, it said four, three. So it might be one. You never know. It is one. It is one. Yeah. Should we just go for one? Let's go for one.
5: <laughs> I but think it, it's one, yeah. Okay. But you can watch
0: them in any order you want, right? So let's see. You know, so it could be one, it could be three, it could be Absolutely. ten. Absolutely. There we go. So, but it is, uh, it is a fantastic Black Mirror episode. And uh, are you attracted to just the fact that it's Black Mirror? Charlie Brooker calls at Le Bleu and you go, yes, thank you very much indeed.
5: Um, it was John Hillcott that... Um, oh, really? Okay. Uh, ...recruited me. I mean, obviously along with, with Charlie and Annabelle, but... Um, but John was the person who contacted me, um, and I—he contacted me, contacted me to play the what was originally the female role, which was um, my co-star's role. Oh, okay. And uh, I said that I was really interested in, in the psychological journey of the the male role, and they um, were open to rewriting it. And so, what was great is they didn't. Then turn the female role into a man. So it was a, a woman on woman dynamic, which I felt was really believable and um, just something that was, you know, true to life and realistic mm. and something we don't often see, which yeah. is odd because I think it's just as realistic as it being. A man and a man, or a man yeah, and a woman, but we just often see that uh, you know the dynamic the other way around. Yeah. I think there was a bit, bit of concern that um, she might not be—I uh, and I, I don't know who this came from—but somewhere up the line, "quote unquote" sympathetic enough. People might not be <laughs> might not be able to sympathise with her um, if if she was a she. But um, I guess that's for the audience to yeah. to decide. You know,
0: I found it very sympathetic. I know that this is a completely different project, but I know that on Mindhorn, the character that you played was originally written Mm -hmm. as a man, and they rewrote it as well, too.
5: Actually, lots of films that I've done, yeah. Yeah.
0: So is that something that you find a lot? I mean, there's obviously lots of conversations about...
5: I think maybe I respond to them because because a lot of screenwriters are male, and... um, Sometimes they're just a little little better at getting really inside of the mindset of a guy mm-hmm. than they are perhaps a woman because they haven't had an experience of it.
0: Or, yeah, um, or it's a default setting: is that you know, like, I'll write the script. I'll just I'll just write about a guy because I am a guy.
5: No, I don't mean that. I mean they, you know, they can. There are. I respond to to guys written by guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know when when they're really truthful and human and that's the bit that i respond to is the humanity yes um that's the, that's the what i would say is a you know meaty character a good character a whole person yeah and right. so um that was just the character that i responded most to and i think was most her his at that point journey <laughs> was most interesting um what was his name in me. the uh,
0: in the original draft your mia in the uh, in the show i don't know just to, before we get on to the, the episode itself, I mean, you shot this in, in Iceland, as you said. Yeah. And which, which you have done before, you did Oblivion in Iceland, is that,
5: no, is that right? No, no. Um, my character in Oblivion uh, never left the house. <laughs> yes. Okay. So was, you were on set. just stay-at-home desk operator. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you never got to see it? No. Oh, no. Oh, my God.
5: No, um, I, I, the that film for me was a soundstage, and it was really amazing. Actually, it was really a beautiful set. Uh-huh. Um, Claudio, the DP, who's really great, just you know one of the best mm. DPs, um, had filmed this skyscape, and they'd slowed it down because they had so much, you know, so much money. Some the resources were just endless, it yeah. seemed, and they projected it then. Onto this screen that surrounded us, and so it was like it was it was a, a strange set to work on because it's seven o'clock at night. It would be seven in the morning, or you'd be doing a morning, s- breakfast scene or something. And, okay. and the the light outside of the house, uh-huh. which was actually projected onto a screen, would be a, like real light, you know, like a real morning light. So oh, it's wow. a bit like having one of those lamps next to your bed that makes you wake up or go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's quite it's sort of weird to go then go to sleep, but it, you know, after you've just been doing a breakfast scene. Um but I spent no the whole time on a sound stage, pretty miserable in um oh, man. Baton Rouge, very lonely. And not getting to see Olga much. Um who was who was um my co star. Mm. And who was also in Death of Stalin with
0: me. Yes, indeed. Indeed. It's been a hell of a year for you. Uh between, you know, this and, and yes, Mindhorn and Battle of the Sexes and Death of Stalin. It's a it's a hell of a year. You seem to be someone who wants to keep very, very busy, or it seems to keep very busy. Is that an intentional thing, or is it? Is yeah, it just I a like project? I I like working. Yeah. I really
5: like working. Um, you know, I really hope to be able to offer more jobs to women in the future. Because
0: um, you have a production company, don't you, which is...
5: Yeah, and uh, so that's... And, and, you know, when I can do that, that's very satisfying. And we're looking, you know, we're making... Looking into all sorts of different things, but documentaries as well, which I, I I'm really... Looking for, I'm really enjoying that process. I'm really looking forward to that too. I okay. like work, I, and I feel it's, I feel um, alive in the face of it. You know, I feel energized by it, and yeah, um, the thing I find it harder to do is talk about it. Not very good at talking about it. I don't like that so much. Like this, I'm not very good at this.
0: Well, I'm terrible at asking about it. So no, I'm sure two you're of not. Us, we're, we're going to be fine. I'm sure you're not. I mean, I'm sure you're not. We're eight minutes in. Uh, you, you've established by now that I'm terrible.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it's, but what about your what about your preparation? Because when you when you are working so uh, often, so prolifically, and I know, for example. Um, and this is—it's weird. I keep bringing Mindhorn up, but um, uh, I know—I know from having sp- uh, spoken to Julian and Simon about that movie at great length—that uh, you came on quite late in the process, yeah—and you came straight from another project as well, yeah.
5: And I think they were all really surprised that I said yes. <laughs> they were—they
0: were. They were like, "What? what? We've written the script, and now this this amazing actor wants to wants to be in our script? What's going oh, well, on? I mean, what that's have we done?" Very
5: kind, but I think they just—I um, was skyping with Sean Foley, and I was. Shooting something in Africa, and um, he, uh, actually with Steve Coogan because Steve's in oh, both, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and Steve, I think, was executive producing it, or he was part of produce, You know. Yeah, but, he was, uh, yeah, he was involved. And um, yeah, uh, I said that the first thing I said to Sean was, "I just love to do this," and he said, "Would you?" Not because it was not, you know, not because I mean, it was clearly just. A wonderful, wonderful piece of work yeah. um, he's, checking, he's checking it, around for hidden cameras but. Because I had Yeah, because I had like five days in between things And right. you know, it just seemed like the last thing in the world To go off and do after doing a Story about capital punishment during apartheid Yeah um, But we did and Yeah, I mean that was You know, I was on set pretty much every day It was, It was great It was one of the best experiences I've had was so much fun.
0: Shooting in the Isle of Man, which is, I imagine this very similar to Iceland
5: Yeah. In, in many ways. No. <laughs> 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 nothing, nothing like Iceland.
0: Iceland doesn't have a laxi wheel, though, does it? One nope. nil. To, one nil to the Isle of Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you can also say raw shark. That's a point away.
5: I know. Uh, yeah, people are really um, captivated by that. I'm... Yeah. Humans are odd, aren't we? Like, in the way that we get really obsessed with how some things are cruel and other things aren't cruel, like yeah. leather or pig factories or shark underground or yeah. mink, mink or, yeah. like, that everything's in a different, I don't know, it's such a funny set of rules we have for different animals. We're like, very selective them, about our luxuries, aren't we? Yeah, some of them we give like cat beds. <laughs> keep them inside and then the other ones are like you're a rat you stay outside you've got no place in a house which is <laughs> such odd creatures
0: this is true this is true I think it's maybe a, it's a question of volume with rats there are so many of them and they've, they've been uh, yeah, but what linked if there were, for so many years with diseases there are
5: quite a lot of cats so imagine if, if all the true. cats were running rampant around the streets of London, passing on disease. We'd look at them very differently. And what if we had all the rats inside the houses and we were sort of like stroking them yeah. and being like, this is my, this is fluffy, my pet rat. Yeah. And that was the most normal thing in the world. Well,
0: it's interesting. When people do have pet rats, there is a certain tendency. Even, pe- even then people go, that's a bit weird, isn't it? To have a pet rat. But... Yeah. Hmm.
5: Maybe. I mean... Yeah. It's weird to have any pets.
0: I guess it is. I guess it is when you look at it that way.
5: It was like really weird when Goofy had Pluto. (laughs) Everyone was so confused by that. I think we all still are.
0: That's a dog owning another dog. Yeah. Or is Goofy a dog? I don't know.
5: That's the big question.
0: It is the big question. Do you have an answer for it? What's your personal theory?
5: Dude, I'm not Walt Disney. (laughs) I'm just here to talk about Black Mirror. (laughs)
0: But the 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 script for this one, the script for Crocodile, uh, so it appealed to you. And what was it specifically, as well, apart from the the character that you wanted to to flip around and play? What was it about this idea? There's a, you know, I can't talk too much about the plot, obviously, but there is there are interesting notions in this about guilt and memory and being haunted by the past. Was that something that that grabbed you from the off?
5: It just felt very human, like very you know very human story. Um. And very uh, memory, such an unreliable source. So I, f- I felt like that was really interesting. It's not a new concept. The idea of memory being a, a, a source, um, mm. you know, legally or yeah. uh, like bearing witness, or uh, which is so odd because it's such a, an unreliable um, thing, and so dictated by perspective and senses and um, it's not a hard and fast uh, truth, if you will, yeah, it, of w- whatever that means, you know. But yeah. um, so I found that really interesting, um, and the idea of the sort of ridiculous notion of which seems, you know, so so possible. Insurance companies using it as a, a sort of reliable source, um, because I know for me, my memories are um, deeply unreliable. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> why anybody would think that they were an accurate source of, you know, an an accurate historical source. Yeah, Um, We were talking about it earlier today, but your perspective of this room will always be forever different from my perspective of the room. And so in in that sense, already you've got two perspectives, it's just two people. Yeah, of course. And then you get a thousand people in the room and what really happened?
0: Yeah.
5: Um, Yeah. To some people, it was just a picture of wallpaper, and to some people, there was a murder. And to some people, there was a uh, baby was born. I mean, you know, it's, what is the truth? You <laughs> what's, know? what's going on in this room? Well, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just such a weird and unreliable yeah. thing to, to base. Um,
0: it is. It especially is.
5: Like the, you know, the paying out of money. Yeah. I really like that idea that the insurance companies had taken it to such an extent that you needed proof.
0: Uh, but assuming we are around there next year, what, what's, uh, what's next for you?
5: Um, got four films at Sundance which is great oh, one
0: of know. them's um, so you'll be back there more snow I know
5: I know well I get back home first and it's quite it's like 90 degrees at home and there's okay. fires <laughs> oh, um, so the complete opposite and then just get thawed out in time to go back to get some altitude sickness <laughs> um, and my one of the films is in is in competition it's a film that my company were part of making. Fantastic! So, really, really excited about that.
0: Brilliant! That's great. So, four films, four films, and presumably you'll be talking about each of them.
5: I'll be there. I'll I'll be there. to yeah, doing the rounds. So, this comes back They're to the idea
0: the of rounds. of memory in a way, because uh, I know sometimes you'll be talking about a film you maybe made two or three years beforehand, before the interview even happens.
5: Right, and you thought you were good in it, but actually you were crap.
0: (laughs) You were never crap. You were always good. (laughs) But the memories... The That's memories very kind of making of a film. Well, the, it is the truth. You might
5: have a shaky memory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to implant a note into my brain and see whether I actually yeah. <laughs> do remember
5: that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I remember you God, being that good. That was in everything a bad I've
5: performance. Seen. <laughs> I don't know how I forgot that. Yeah, she was looking at the camera. <laughs> like, Maybe you just had about? like really nice bag of M and M's or Revels or something. <laughs> it just made you feel better about it.
0: It's all about my experience. Yeah. Uh, but do you ever find that 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 uh, the old memory fails you when you're talking about projects you maybe made one and a, one and a half oh years God, ago, two, yeah. I mean, two years ago? I,
5: I, I've been sitting in a room before. There was one year that I had three different. There was like three films at Toronto or something. It was uh, a while ago, and there were moments when I was sitting in a room and people were asking me questions, and I, would, you know, my brain, I honestly was like, which one are we talking about again? <laughs> Just because of sitting in that same sort of as a human being and sitting in that same position you know like that you and I are yeah. sitting in now and yeah. the people have come in and gone out and yeah. I've been sitting I've been looking at these two lamps and your head but before that somebody else's head and this mirror behind it for so long that it can become a bit like Groundhog Day yeah. and even when the questions are completely different and you know all over the map and it's yeah it can get very I I just think my memory would not be a reliable source to anyone <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at, um, I am very good at like remembering, you know, verse and poems and stuff like that because that's okay. my job, I, yeah. you know. Uh, but basically all the information up there is useless, I would say, unless you want a monologue.
0: Well, no, it would be good for a podcast. But uh, so if I asked you to remember what I was carrying when I walked into the room 20 minutes ago, that, would that be a struggle? <laughs> You're carrying this. I was carrying that, yeah, the pole, the big tripod thing. It's not a test. You're
5: basically <laughs> carrying everything that's like set getting, up now. See, see,
0: it's there, it's there in front of you. It's all good. It's all good. That
5: wasn't a difficult question.
0: All right, so uh, shall I ask you about your first day in Crocodile very quickly then? Okay.
5: Um, first day in Crocodile. First day in Crocodile was um, my assistant Susie got an awful tummy bug and puked all over the, um, God bless her, trailer. <laughs> she was so ill. And so it was, so I was just helping her. I was just cleaning up in the house and stuff and helping her because um, she was really, really ill. So that was the beginning of Crocodile for me. Oh,
0: there you go. Start as you mean to go on. (laughs)
5: Yeah. (laughs) And it was all uphill from there. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic.
0: Andrea Reisberg, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was uh, Andrea Reisberg. Anyone watch the new series of Black Mirror when it came onto Netflix? Not
1: yet. No spoilers.
0: I've only seen the one episode, the one with Andrea Reisberg in it. Sure.
2: I watched the very first episode of Black Mirror. Because I'm coming to this a bit late. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: Well, we should, we'll have a fuming party. It'll be yeah. fun.
2: Helen fun. buried under... A, <laughs> yeah.
0: Buried under screeners. Uh, all right. So time now to talk about this week's big releases. Um, and there's only really one place to start. And that is with All the Money in the World, which is the new Ridley Scott film, the second in almost a year Uh, about the kidnapping of Paul Getty, the the grandson of J. Paul Getty, who was the richest man in the world back in the 1970s. Uh, This movie, you may have heard some brouhaha. Uh, Of course, J. Paul Getty was originally played by Kevin Spacey. uh, And when all the allegations and accusations about Kevin Spacey broke a couple of months ago, Ridley Scott swung into action, quickly replaced Kevin Spacey in the role, and uh, replaced him with Christopher Plummer, who was... Apparently, his original choice for the role. And so, is it hard to watch this movie, which is about the attempt to get Paul Getty back from his kidnappers and led by his mother played by Michelle Williams and uh, one of Getty's fixers played by Mark Wahlberg on full Wahlberg form? Is it hard to look at this movie without thinking about Spacey and
2: Plummer and all the shenanigans that have gone on behind the scenes? I think it's hard to start watching this movie without thinking about that stuff. Uh, I think because when when you're first introduced to J.P. Getty uh, and Plummer comes in, he's quite obviously composited into the scene. You can see where he's been replaced. And I think that and the knowledge of the history of why it's happened is quite glaring. Honestly, though, it lasted about 15 minutes for me. And after that... Plummer absolutely inhabits that role. He's incredible in it. I can't imagine, I mean, I haven't seen Spacey's performance, obviously, but I can't imagine him doing it better than Plummer did.
0: Well, we saw, we saw a little bit of From Spacey's the
2: performance in the first teaser trailer. Mm.
0: And I do wonder because
2: I think all the way through the movie, you'd have been going, ah,
0: those prosthetics aren't good. Yeah. It would have been distracting. The not good. It would have
2: been distracting. Yeah. And Plummer is really, really good. I mean, honestly, for me, the standout for this is just, I mean, Ridley Scott doing this in that short period of time is extraordinary. Because it's not like it's a couple of scenes. He has a significant presence in the film. Mm, um, yeah. And to have redone all of that with that turnaround and actually make it look so seamless and so good, with the exception of literally about three shots where it looks like has been some digital trickery, I was, you know, hats off to him. Mm, uh,
1: he he works fast at the, be- at the worst oh, of Oh, he's times. a machine. You know, he's, he's an, an absolute machine. He's incredibly fast sh- shooting. But in this case apparently because he already knew exactly what the edit of the film was Mm. he shot absolutely no more than was necessary
0: yeah
1: absolutely just boom 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 got it all in the can incredible stuff
0: i just got notification actually he's just made another three movies in the time it took you to
2: finish that sentence (laughs) well i feel bad kind of amazing but the movie itself jimbo what did we think of it i enjoyed it a great deal actually i thought it was uh, very compelling michelle williams is incredibly good Uh, As uh, young phenomenal John Paul's mother, Uh, although this was this was ruined for me slightly after the fact.
1: Don't don't finish what you're going to (laughs) say. You know
2: what I'm going to do. I know what you're going to do. You talked about it on
1: Twitter. (laughs) Save that for a couple of weeks' time. Oh god,
2: episode of Friends where Phoebe first meets Mike's parents and puts on her super posh accent. If you watch that first, you cannot get it out of your head when thinking of Michelle Williams because she sounds just like her. <laughs> uh, so don't do that, or think about that, or let anyone. Tell I you think
0: that. there's a real Catherine Hepburn vibe going on. It's a very ye oldy Hello, Betsy.
2: Yes, very uh, ye olde Hollywood
0: accent from Hollywood, and which apparently is not a real accent. I read this somewhere over the over the Christmas holidays that the, the, the voice that Catherine Hepburn and Betty Davis and people like that used in the 1930s and 40s mm-hmm. was coached into them by dialect coaches. So that they would be understood across the country, and so they don't. there, there isn't actually an American voice like that.
1: No, there isn't. So. Although I think Hepburn's own sort of Bryn Mawr accent is not. Is mm. probably the closest of the lot to it.
0: Mm. Well, okay. you learned something new. I didn't know that either. I'm, I'm learning I'm learning him growing as an individual I thought I got it
2: all from friends
0: uh, but yeah I thought this was a very very good film very solid film it perhaps goes on a little bit too it long does. it does
2: it loses momentum I think in takes the last a few too many liberties yeah. we've we've discussed this
0: and we will very very quickly <laughs> discuss this but Williams is amazing Yep. plumber emergency plumber the call out fee was well worth it because yes. that was is he's very very good indeed and, and Wahlberg is basically playing Mark Wahlberg he in this is. film but in a three piece suit and with a really fancy pair of glasses and We were discussing this whether he's actually good in the film. I think he is good in the film, but I think he's hamstrung slightly in the way that Keanu Reeves is hamstrung by a (laughs) by a no by 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 focal patterns and by the fact he has a very narrow focal range. And I'm not saying that you get Mark Wahlberg into to he could never play Bond. You know what I mean? He, he mm. always has a touch of the Wahlbergisms about him,
2: but this is a very good actor. He's been Oscar nominated in the past, well, but I think and I think he, he's good in this. He but. works very well as a lead, and it's the same way that Keanu does. Like mm. you know what you're getting. It's a Wahlberg lead. It's a Keanu lead. But as a supporting kind of character actor, mm. he isn't a character actor. He's just Mark Wahlberg <laughs> playing Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> and when he's not the title character, it's a little distracting because yeah. uh, you're like, oh yeah, oh there's one, Mark Wahlberg. Um, yeah. yeah but but nevertheless but good him and those glasses were striking they are very striking you'd like it helen
1: who
0: glasses yeah, good glasses uh, all right so we gave uh, all the money in the world all the stars in the world bar one we gave a 4 <laughs> For English stars, that is, of course, a recommendation. It is. And also out this week, and worthy of your time, is Scott Cooper's Hostiles, which reunites him with his uh, Out of the Furnace star, Christian Bale, plus Rosamund Pike, plus Wes Studi, Mm. and is a brutal Western road trip, essentially. Is this fair to say?
1: Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. Now, I... I, cards on the table bloody hated out of the furnace. I thought it was so incredibly boring. Um, and you
0: love black mass, right? <laughs> I really didn't like black mass either.
1: But this, I thought, was a real return to form for Scott Cooper. I thought it was okay. much, much better than either of those. So we're starting in New Mexico in 1892. So this is kind of the time of the Indian Wars um, uh, in the US. And uh, Joe Blocker, Christian Bale's character, is an army captain who's, who's ordered, for, really, really forced to escort... Uh, a dying Native American chief, who's played by Wes Study and his family to back home to Montana. He is dying and he wants to die and be buried back in his homeland. And the mm-hmm. army, I think, a little bit worried about sort of the public relations side of things, have have agreed to do that. Um, now, Joe has spent much of his life uh, fighting Native Americans of one tribe or another, uh, is presented as a racist, prejudiced, angry very violent guy Um, and what the film becomes is a slight journey towards something resembling redemption or some kind of emergence from the the trauma that's led him to be in that state or I don't know how you want to put it but it's it's a genuinely quite convincing and sometimes quite moving look at a guy kind of recovering from his own worst instincts. Mm. Um, Against that is the is the opening of the film which concerns Rosamund Pike's character and I don't want to say too much about it because I think it should be as shocking to you as it was to me but it is, uh, even though Dan gives it away in his review um,
0: <laughs> don't, read, don't read the review <laughs> Don't yeah. read the review until you've seen the film Just read the star rating
1: But um, it, it is one of the most shocking and upsetting beginnings to a film that I've seen in quite some time and uh, and it, basically her character is traumatised by it and uh, is sort of found and, and rescued, if you will, by Joe. And uh, and kind of has to try and recover from that in the course of the film as well. And it shouldn't be possible for either of those two people to in any way recover from what they've gone through, quite frankly. But I think the film manages to make it seem plausible and and give you this sense of hope um, throughout some really, really dark and violent times. Uh, and that's really, really impressive. Wes Studi and and Adam Beach and uh, uh, Kira Orianka Kilcher and the the rest are really good, but they're very Mm. much resigned to supporting roles here, which is perhaps a slight fault. I think maybe it would have been better to have a bit more interaction there.
2: Is this film going to upset me? It sounds traumatic. I really, really want to see this because I watched Godless um, on Netflix just before Christmas, which I loved. So I'm in a very Western place now. I really want to watch
1: Um, this. There's nothing of this sort of... Basically, you get very upset about rape scenes yes. and there is there is not, a, that's not the, okay, the kind of violence I'm talking about. Well, that's not the kind of um, graphic violence I'm Funny. talking about.
2: Having read Dan's review, though, I think you might get upset about
1: it. Yeah, you, I mean, okay. Yeah, okay, there is, great.
2: So it's going to be traumatic, but I, I might enjoy it regardless.
1: I, I I think it's really, really good. I'm not, as I say, I'm not a big Scott Cooper fan in recent years. I'm not mm-hmm. a huge Western fan generally, mm-hmm. but this, I think, is one of the good Westerns. And also, by the way, uh, a great, the rest of the supporting cast as well. You've got Timothy Chalamet in his, what, 16th great performance this year or great film this year. You've got Jesse Plemons once again turning up in a good supporting role like he always does. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a really, really good cast. Um, so, yeah, four stars from us.
0: Sounds good to me. I should watch uh, it. Yeah, maybe check it out this weekend. Four stars then for Scott Cooper's Hostiles. And we wanted to mention as well, we didn't really get into The Greatest Showman, did we, in depth because of the, the pesky embargo. <laughs> We didn't was, get into it at all, Chris.
1: We didn't break the embargo, Chris.
0: We did not do that, Helen. Uh, and I'd like to see you prove otherwise. Very, very quickly then, the Greatest Showman, which now people people have seen it.
1: They've probably seen it already, yeah. But um, it is uh, it's quite a sort of charming, extraordinarily old fashioned musical. Hugh Jackman plays P.T. Barnum, the, the near penniless drifter, who, our dreamer, who became uh, a circus entrepreneur because that's a thing, uh, or at least it was at the turn of the 19th to the 20th century. He makes a fortune uh, to keep his wife Charity, played by Michelle Williams in her second appearance recently, uh, and his kids, uh, but then gambles it all on a tour for an opera singer, Jenny Lind, played by Rebecca Ferguson, oh. who is slightly unfairly made into a bit of a villain in this film and actually real life suggests that she was pretty awesome but um it's it's a little bit it's very very broad there are scenes that are not very good um and it's and it's really kind of sold broad strokes (laughs) but honestly it's got incredibly catchy tunes like i've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat um and and it kind of just wins you over through sheer determination to to do so it's it's just kind of relentlessly charming and you find yourself humming along and going with it somehow or at least I did um so yeah some someone did describe it as all chorus no verse and there's there's probably a fairness to that it doesn't really have the depth that you want it to have
0: it's no Hamilton is what you're saying it's
1: no Hamilton but then what is I've been thinking Um, a lot
0: about this film and how it's gone down because uh, there are certain people I follow on Twitter to whom this has become essentially the most important film of all time (laughs) and and I remember having a Twitter exchange with Robbie Collin where we were a little bit baffled by it because while it's fun and decent, and yeah, there's an interesting decision to have an old fashioned musical, which is what it is, mm. uh, kind of whitewashed Barnum a lot, I would say. But you also have this old fashioned musical that has really modern pop songs.
1: Within, yeah, very that. much so, so
0: yeah. I, I'd be curious to know how this is going to date but anyway so people so we're discussing this like what is this you know what is it about this I mean this seems to be a film that's almost beyond film you know is <laughs> is people's liking of this movie beyond irony is it is it almost like you and I with fast five for example mm-hmm. it feels to me like this is the fast five <laughs> of musicals
1: that's not unfair in a way. probably, is
0: it yeah I, yeah it, it feels it's, like that it's
1: very me. colorful it's very it's sort of big hearted, heart on its sleeve kind of broad strokes you know, mm. dares you to dislike it kind of approach I think in a lot of ways Yeah, um, and you know, very much, especially in Hugh Jackman's performance like that is very much I think what he's, yeah. where he's he's coming it's from It's a
0: very very committed, very committed performance yeah. and uh, he really, really goes for it, as does everyone Zendaya yeah. and Zac Efron and uh, Michelle Williams and who knew Michelle Williams could sing and who knew Rebecca Ferguson could sing, not the one that we knew could sing, but the one that we didn't know could sing.
1: I think she's not actually singing. No! Yeah, sorry.
0: You're kidding me. Sorry.
1: No! She's not credited on the soundtrack anyway.
0: This is an... app. Ab- oh, I've ruined Christmas. Next,
1: next Christmas. <laughs> anyway, three stars. Three stars. For The Greatest Showman.
0: All right. Uh, anything else?
1: I think that's about it. That's it.
0: Okay, so well, what I will say is that if you want to hear more from Hugh Jackman, talking specifically about the songs of The Greatest Showman and how they come up with them, because making an original musical for film, certainly is is a quite a tricky enterprise. Uh, we do have a Hugh Jackman interview special uh, that is available for you to listen to right now. Our Review of the Year special as well is out there for you to listen to. Uh, our Last Jedi special is coming soon, uh, as is our Blade Runner 2049 spoiler <laughs> special. And if you <laughs> want to see us live... So special. <laughs> so special. If you want to see us do this thing live, this crazy thing, this crazy podcast thing, uh, you will get your wish on Valentine's Day. The Be most, rem- date, the most romantic saying. day of all. <laughs> Uh, we are going to be uh, recording our 300th podcast. I'm
1: That's sorry. not including specials.
0: That's not including specials, absolutely. So, I don't know, 400, whatever it is. So, But 300th regular episode of the podcast. We're going to be recording it live at the King's Place, which is where we did our, uh, our, our London Podcast Festival podcast last year. Had a great time there. Uh, they've asked us back we accept it very very nice tickets are now on sale for that and you can get them at www.kingsplace.co.uk uh, so that's on the evening of Valentine's Day so bring your bring your husband bring your wife bring your boyfriend bring your girlfriend bring all of them bring them all come <laughs> and see and we're going to have some some special guests I'm reliably informed
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent we're as planned as ever
0: Yeah but yeah, we'd love to see you there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so book your tickets now. Is that it?
1: Yeah. Are we it. done? We're, Think done.
0: So. We're done. All right. Fantastic. Uh, that is it for the first Empire podcast of 2018. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Joe Wright.
1: Ooh. Joe
0: Wright, director of Darkest Hour and... Atonement... And atonement, yes. No, thank Pride you. And prejudice. This is good. Yes. no, keep it going while I'm looking up the next guest. This is and <laughs> okay. pan, pan pan. Don't forget. Pan. We, well, oh, can we uh, can we forget? Uh, pan? Joe Wright, director of Darkest Hour, Atonement, and some other stuff as well. Oh, and of course, yes, Martin McDonough. Martin McDonough, the writer and director of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Very exciting.
1: Did you know the French name of that film is The Billboards of Wrath?
0: Isn't that's not that a, like that. a better title? A better title. It's a
1: much better title. That's
0: a better title. Uh, so, raging Billboards would have been another good one. <gasps> <laughs> yes. This is all good stuff. And also, just finished the podcast on a real high. The good place is back.
4: Right. The
1: good <laughs> yep. place is
2: back. We we'll are Netflix know that. tomorrow. Okay, that's it. Okay. Yep. And and the new X Files is starting as well.
1: And we're not that far away from New Star Trek. Oh, oh it is all happy, coming up us.
2: Happy days.
0: Everything is coming up House. This is very, very exciting times. Uh, so join us next week for that. And we'll be talking about The Good Place incessantly again. That's fun. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Totally. It is goodbye from James. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to go to The Good Place. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. See you next week. Bye.